You are listening to the Living Jewishly podcast, a show about community, a thriving, welcoming, validating, open to everyone Jewish community, one that celebrates our differences and honors our sameness. We're inviting you to explore your own sense of Jewish identity as we build our community. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saberman. This is Elliot Malamud. This is a Living Jewishly podcast called The Secret Life of Rabbis. We are here with a recently minted rabbi who goes by her name, Bluth. <laughs> and we're talking about rabbis and all those things that go into the making, the being, the living, and... How was your holiday? This holiday was a good one. A good amount of renewal in this one. I brought in for the first time to Beth Sedek some... Beth Sedek is a Toronto conservative synagogue. Mm-hmm. Gigantic. Right, where I lead an alternative spiritual, alternative minion. And um, we we did some sort of shamanic Jewish practice. Oh, I didn't know those two words went together. <laughs> um, so that was very exciting. Shamanic too. like in Shema? Like shaman. Yeah. <laughs> I recently was in a, um, did some ceremonies in Israel that were very earth-based and brought some of those practices in based on the Zohar to Bethsedek, which was new. Let's you just think? Say. You mm-hmm. think mystical paganism was kind of new for them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it went, went great. But it sounds to me like you think mystical paganism or shamanic prayer and, and action is actually old. Oh, yeah. So you feel like it's... This oh, is, yeah. It's, this ancient, it's ancient wisdom in many indigenous traditions, including Judaism. And, and how'd they go for it? It went over wonderfully. Everyone was, it was really nice on Rosh Hashanah to be bringing in Torah of like the earth and elements and directions and winds, given that it's the time of creation of the world and of humanity. So tell me like a shamanic practice that you did. We did um, a meditation practice facing each direction, sort of associating each direction with an element, with winds, with an angel, with, um, which is all rooted in the Zohar. And Can you, uh, you moved people around, like into different. We, so we stood up, you stood, and you turned. We turned to the east, the cool. place of the rising sun. We blew the shofar to awaken new beginning, new potentiality. Okay. And I, that I associated that with the machriot section of the machzer. We sang machriot being being the, the coronation aspect of Rosh Hashanah. We sang a nigun and did a little meditation, awakening the inner queen and inner king, and connecting to being in the palace and. And so on, and then we went. We went through each direction and played with meditation, the machzer, the like the traditional liturgy and the elemental sort of earthy aspects. And then at the end, we blew the shofar too. There's a in the commentary on the Zohar. It speaks about the shofar as uniting the four elements and uniting the upper and lower worlds and the ideal, the ideal and the actual. And so we blew the shofar too. So I want to ask you: the people who come to you, are they like comfortable with this stuff, or do you have to like sort of break them in? Oh yeah, not at all. Um, well, they've never really encountered this stuff, uh-huh. but it's just definitely like a straight-laced crowd. You do anything to grease the wheels, like to make it to make it. Yes, we, we, yeah, I start off with whiskey. <laughs> we have oh, start with whiskey? Oh, okay. All <laughs> um, right. Break, break the ice with whiskey and then go into some meditation. But the way I'm sharing these ideas is it's like psycho-spiritual stuff that people are thirsty for. And 
I, you know, I laugh a lot and we make jokes and we laugh at ourselves and, and experiment. So, so wait, <laughs> have you rooted this, these practices within the traditional machzor or prayer so that people actually, while they may doubt your expression of it, of it, they actually find the significance within the book or are you not up to that yet or oh yeah well the question i ask at the high holidays is always like what's this sort of spiritual essence what's the purpose the goal of the high of the holiday for all holidays right i love the holidays i'm a big fan of the jewish calendar um so like what's the goal of the holiday and how does the liturgy or the the rituals of the holiday bring us to the goal um and so when i looked when i was sitting and reading through the machzer in preparation for for rosh hashanah I was just noticing the machiot, zichronot, and shofarot, and noticing the three sections, noticing the kind of the the pathway that the liturgy takes us through, and I felt that it was really similar to some of the more earthy practices and the sort of the the wheel and the cycles of you know more meditative and earthy traditions, and so. So that would be um, the coronation, the birthday mm-hmm. of the world. That would be memory or remembrances mm-hmm. and that would be and remembering ourselves as like re- from the root of like remembering like becoming part of humanity seeing ourselves as part of a bigger and picture and so far being uh, the reminder the the, the, the interlocutor the, the 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 uniter uh, yeah right? and the primal cry and the wake-up call i'll take us back for one second i looked this year i looked at rosh hashanah and said okay we have three things in rosh hashanah tshuva tfila and staka so tshuva being, I think, traditionally translated as repentance, but I see it as this turning inward. So tshuva is a place of mindfulness, of introspection, of sort of some... I brought in somatic meditation there. The section on tefillah, which is prayer, that's when I look to the machzer to see what, what we have, and that's machuyot, zikhonot, and shafarot, and then staka is righteousness, justice, charity. And so in the tefillah section, that's when we did this practice. I have this sense that the traditional tools that we have are very powerful, but often we don't know what they're trying to, we don't know how they work. We don't really know what they're trying to bring us towards. And if we can understand that and like say it explicitly, then we can start going through the motions and it, it has more meaning. And so this was an alternative way to go through. So a couple of questions. Um, First of all, you describe it as alternative, Mm -hmm. but then again, we've also agreed, as you, you said, that you rooted it in the ancient sources. Is it possible that alternative is actually the wrong word for this? Maybe this is the es- maybe this is the essential and what we have in main services are about something else. They're about rabbis on grand pulpits, they're about style, they're about giving people sort of a, a modern so a, an imaginary modern version where we actually don't ingest and in, in, inject our heart and feelings into things and we try to have sort of a it's like, uh, it's like religious theater. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe what you're doing is the earthiness of it, the mm-hmm. quality of restoring people, is really the what should be. Because if the text takes the time to do it, maybe we should as well. So I'm just asking whether, you, whether you'll always be alternative or maybe you're actually... The real deal. The real deal. <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's something about what I'm doing which is trying to get to the spiritual essence that I don't know that main sanctuary services are completely interested in. I think alternative because I'm drawing on meditation practices and other sort of discussion and text study that's not this sort of normative prayer practice of the day. And we're not going through the entire liturgy and and so on. But in terms of the function and purpose and meaning, yeah, there's something, I think, pretty essential. I wanted to ask you, you talked about how at the beginning they weren't comfortable, it was new for them. 
did you see a turning point? Was there something something where you felt like the light went on and they were like sort of inside of it now? Yeah, I think there's a shift. I usually lay out what I'm going to do sort of from like an intellectual place and there's curiosity there, but no one's comfortable. And then I do the first meditation, which is like a somatic body scan kind of meditation. And people start to relax at the meditation. Really the whiskey, I'm, I'm telling the whiskey is actually yeah. a, a huge... Uh, what are you going to do on Yom Kippur then? Right. Then I make jokes about not having whiskey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but by Yom Kippur, we've already spend a few days together and so people are more comfortable with the process so just before i go on to my mm-hmm. second question uh, i want to just say that uh, we're really loving our conversation with bluth a uh, recently ordained rabbi we're delighted to listen to her conversation about the mainstream alternative uh, rooted in traditional sources for high holiday she did fascinating and uh, we'd love your comment and feedback on it because we feel this is really important what within the holiday service touches you maybe some of it sounds a lot like what bluth is talking about and do synagogues do enough of this maybe can you envision a day where what bluth is doing as the supposed alternative actually becomes mainstream maybe you've gone to a shul where it's mainstream and how does it work for you and certainly any feedback is welcome but here's my question this is the goes back to the rabbi secret life of rabbis do you feel that you are a checklist where oh we need to find an alt rabbi or alt leader so that we can show ourselves to be alternative tuned in with the millennials with the young people we're into the holistic thing and so on i'm not talking about your role here but i'm talking maybe you can talk about rabbis in general i often feel that there's a checklist now to prove that you're hip Mm -hmm. and to do that you got to have this kind of rabbi or that gender or that style or that identity and so on and you have to have maybe even have to have special pronouns so that you can show yourself to be real and maybe it's to an audience who gets it or doesn't get it and is it is it real or is it just lip service to everyone knows there's a whole variety of jewish identities well i am i am a millennial (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i feel like my whole sort of life and rabbinic life or process in this rabbinic life has been one of wearing many different hats like the thing, I definitely, if I'm hired places, am I hired as a checklist thing? I don't know. I don't really think so. I don't feel that I'm like used as a pawn in a checklist usually. Mm-hmm. I do feel like personally, I've been trying to figure out the way to combine all these different like hats and identities um, from being left leaning politically to being halachic religiously to feeling uncomfortable in orthodoxy religiously to, to being a woman to feeling part of the boys club to wondering what that all means. Like the point being that I feel like in my own self I'm like constantly changing up my hats and trying to find and create spaces where people can open the boxes on okay this is a specific type of rabbi for a specific type of shul and and we can only talk about this one kind of thing and just make a bit more of like a holistic experience doesn't exactly answer so actually but looking looking around today yeah do you think that you could occupy uh let's say a mainstream pulpit in Toronto wearing all those hats and with the state of traditional jewelry now what do you think they'd make of you i don't think they'd make of her because i don't think she wants to be <laughs> a pulpit rabbi except if you know well what is a pulpit really, rabbi really... a pulpit rabbi is essentially a term that we've coined uh, either to identify rabbis who excel primarily on the pulpit or have the ability to lead from the pulpit and if someone is a pulpit rabbi in my mind it means they have leadership capacity the pulpit itself is a silly word right 
Right, but synagogues tie you to the you know the proverbial hatch match dispatch model where you're dealing with people's life cycle events, their their weddings, their deaths, and so on, and you're responsible to do the things that you know synagogue bureaucratic duties would demand of you. And I don't know that a certain kind of uh, person in blues situation is interested in being tied to that i think she would like the sort of spiritual so, help part of the work but maybe you can speak for yourself like what is it about the rabbinate that appeals to you yeah and, and i would add to that are you look are you okay with the, the 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 gig economy like are you prepared to dip in and dip out whenever it's appropriate but not necessarily make it either the entirety of your life or your career right well i live in israel so it's a different it's a bit of a different conversation i don't know that i could get a pulpit stable salary job as a rabbi, as a woman, as a rabbi in Israel. As you were speaking, I was picturing us like putting a pulpit on the beach of Tel Aviv. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the kind of pulpit that that I'd be happy with. In terms of like making a career out of all this, you know, I, I'm really excited about creating spaces. I'm creating a beautiful aesthetic spaces that facilitate different types of people coming together to to learn to deepen to live more meaningful lives and all of the sort of aesthetics and ritual that could be tied into a space like that including plants and like I would love to create a geodesic dome in the heart of Tel Aviv with a little urban garden outside and a bait cafe inside and make like a coffee shop bait midrash where people could come learn Um, there's embodied practice there's healing practice there's a huge bookshelf of texts from halachic text to Kabbalistic text to secular texts. and So a sort of multiplex model. Where yeah. There's lots of different kinds of spaces, almost like a JCC kind of model. Yeah, sort of bringing more. back the commu- like a community, to create a community hub where people come because they want to be, come because they're attracted to the vibe of the place mm-hmm. and they... And once they're there, they have access to deepening and learning and all the stuff that they didn't necessarily know they were coming for. So like, you're not coming for Jewish experience necessarily. You're coming for community. You're coming for coffee. You know, you're coming for whatever, yoga or, or, and so on. And, and, and you can enter a world of like deeper practice and learning and, and that kind of thing. So you're obviously hearing a lot of uh, interesting things on this podcast and we'd Love your feedback and commentary. And frankly, if you want to give a shout out to Bluth and support her vision, let her know that as well. We're available to uh, take your emails at yossi at livingjewishly.org and elliot at livingjewishly.org. We'd be more than happy to forward any emails for Bluth directly to her. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.